You are listening to the Musician Today weekly podcast with Vera Bermenko. Tune in for your insight into a professional musician's life and awesome new music. Hi, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Musician Today. Today's episode is very special to me personally, too. <laughs> the reason I started this podcast is because I wanted to bring to you guys the people that inspire me the most and share their life experience in the music industry. And today we have somebody who is personally my dear friend and who has been a catalyst in my own creative process. Someone that has I have looked up to for years, uh, someone who's really great at not only composing music, but bringing out the creative side in just about everyone he meets. So we have a composer, conductor, who has always had a stylistic yet unorthodox approach to music composition. From a young age, he was, he was passionate and enthusiastic, pardon me guys, for music playing, piano and writing short pieces. And he has studied at Royal Conservatory of Music, later Berkeley College, and he's done a lot of stuff that I just can't list into one introduction, but I will try to do some of it, okay? So during his early teens, he was seduced by the power of rock and the awe of jazz, and it slowly found its way into his compositional practice and performance. Soon after, the young musician went on to pursue his studies at Berkeley, earning a degree in film scoring by 2005. Then he made his orchestral conducting debut, working rehearsals and guest conducting the Athens Symphony Orchestra. He went on to premiere his piece entitled Gloria and Interapa for strings orchestra and choir with the ASO and the National Technical University of Athens Choir in Greece. From there, he has gone to conduct and rehearse a variety of orchestras and ensembles on an international platform. Over the years, he has worked composing music for a wide variety of notable filmmakers, bands, solo artists, dancers, engineers, producers, ensembles, and orchestras creatively outpouring music in a multitude of genres, working exclusively with film music, jingles, songwriting, arranging, chamber music, as well as composing large-scale orchestral pieces. His work has been met with praise and admiration as he continues to inspire both audiences and colleagues. In 2009, his 44th string quartet was premiered at the 50th anniversary of Mark Motors, Porsche, and Audi celebrations. And in 2011, he won Best Score at the Aphrodite Cinefest International for Da Capo, which we're going to hear today, guys. <laughs> so this is a short film that I had the pleasure of hearing inside my classes at York University, too. So then having written and arranged over 10,000 pieces, he continues to learn, write, and conduct, and produce. He has taught at the faculty of uh, California State University uh, in Northridge and currently works as a composer in Los Angeles. And... Wow, I'm out of breath. <laughs> so I find it absolutely fascinating how you are able to do so many different things and perform and conduct and gig and support other artists and produce songs and film scores, as in how do you do it? <laughs> so welcome, welcome, guys. I haven't named my guest yet. This is the amazing composer-producer Nadine Majdalani tuning in from L.A. So woo -hoo! Thank, you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yay! Yeah, that is that is a that's a lot when you're when you read it back and you know you say all that I'm just like whoa. <laughs> I know it's just like when someone reads your bio, you don't realize how much you've done. There's still there's still about eight more years missing from that. So yeah, <laughs> I know. I just tried to keep it short because we would be here all day. 
<laughs> well, we can talk about your current projects. Yes. Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on, but yeah, how, how I mean, how I balance all of that, it's um, you know, I I, I don't know. I think it, it comes time. You you really have to. Something I learned over the years is is good time management skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, the way I've kind of I've taken in everything is I've really uh, I've said yes to a lot of projects, but at the mm-hmm. same time. I've been very selective on what I've been able to do and manage and uh, you know what what suits my musical personality the best. Yes. Cuz um you have to if you have a if you you know if you're really catering your writing to one specific avenue then that's great. Uh, but for me I I'm always diversifying i'm always changing um yes i'm shifting the colors and the tones of my writing depends you know depends on the day mm-hmm. depends on you know what, how good the coffee was in the morning <laughs> so many factors that kind of play into that your mood what's going on in the world and, mm-hmm. and it's kind of you know if you feel like writing a song about it then write a song about it if you feel like you know, channeling some of that into a film you're working on, then then do that. But um, you know, it's it's it, it's really been a very chameleon-like uh, process with me, and I've uh, been very right. very blessed to say that it's it's worked out very well. But right. time management is very important. Thing oh have, yes, which I did not have at the beginning, um, and it made me it made me nuts. And it made me, <laughs> it made me lose focus. Um, yes. And I feel like once I, I reestablished like pillars of time and what was what I knew was able to be done in that, I was able to take on more and execute mm-hmm. it to the highest caliber and quality that I could. That's amazing! Wow. Well, I know that. Uh, your journey has not been the easy one that there have been struggles along the way and what would you say were probably some of the most difficult decisions you have to make on your path towards achieving basically what you're doing now i would say um in terms of balancing (laughs) balancing your life versus something else (laughs) it's a really really tough one but uh honestly it's a it's uh I would say balancing relationships has been the 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 most difficult one. It's mm-hmm. um, you know we we like to think everyone is a is a good friend, but not everyone is. And then sometimes friendships uh, and certain people can be toxic. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. uh, where some some people you know the strength of everything comes into defining um, what in your best interest of that, you know, you know, and, and who really has a genuine, uh, sincere outlook to your well-being as right. well as theirs, you know, it's, yes, it's yes. all out of balance, you know, of course. Uh, and sometimes people, you know, that I've crossed, but they enjoy, they enjoy being miserable and they want, yep. um, they want everyone to be the same. Yeah. With them. <laughs> and, uh, That's true. Well, well, one thing I can guarantee you guys, 
that kind of brought me down a you know a different darker path and when I was able to when I was able to really kind of restructure and refocus myself and my life uh, things turned around in a very very positive most excellent way yes absolutely well you guys if you've never worked with Nadim or never heard his music he's one of the people that will take genuinely good care of you and your project he can produce he can write he can compose he can just work around what you need and he will take genuinely good care of you as a person my favorite quote of this week is by Drew Ford that viola kid he said there is a huge ROI in being a good person and that is 100% true so <laughs> you can find Nadim on his website if you are interested in working and looking at some of his music, nadimajdalani.com, and we will talk about that more. Meanwhile, I would love to play one of your fresh produced tracks just out of the studio from the new album, and then we can listen a bit more to you speak about how we came together. All right? Absolutely. So here you. is Churning Out the Ocean of Milk, and you guys are going to love this one, so enjoy.
right. Wow. That was so mystical, <clears throat> metaphysical. <laughs> I love it. So how would you say, how do you approach a composition like this? So how does it come together? Do you have a, like a clear strategy or is it something that you kind of more feel through? Yeah. So this, this piece, it's the third movement of okay. an 11 movement work. Um, the whole album is called Phoenix of Atlantis. Nice. And um, it comes out actually. It comes out this Sunday. Woohoo! So, Way to go! Said, uh, yeah, this Sunday, Phoenix of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. You can go to phoenixofatlantis.com and it'll give you all the the links. Uh, yeah, and it goes live goes live Sunday. And this Excellent. is the fifth movement called Churning of the Ocean of Milk, mm-hmm. and um, it's about a story um, of a ancient times the gods and the demons were at war and um the gods desired to become immortal and so they needed to find the nectar of immortality so make a long story short the uh they needed to team up with the demons their enemies Mm -hmm. they were told in order to find this nectar they to work together with their enemies to churn the ocean of milk and uh wow uh in the album i did each movement has a nice kind of story companion and yes. describes it when i approach this uh oh i'm getting a little feedback from you oh of the sorry yeah it's okay uh <laughs> when i approach this there is like a a nice arc to the whole structure of it and i took each movement uh and i really broke it down and i had a, a plan of attack when i was writing each one mm-hmm. and, and uh, this one in particular uh means a lot means a lot to me because there's a a lot of curated uh pitches and uh instrumentation that i use in it that um i i have very strong first feelings about there's a lot of harp in there mm-hmm. um there's a soprano there's a a lot of percussion um french horn and some nice uh clarinet parts with uh that are written in kind of a multiphonic way beautiful and so it, you could visualize a lot when you listen to it mm-hmm the this giant vast ocean being churned and um there's a you know the the motion of of the the churning rod and the snake that's wrapped around it and you know you have this darker side and you have like these light parts that kind of intermix and flow over each other i love Uh, that i love the contrast like i know a lot of artists who work in specific genres but to me, I admire people who go into that darker side, right? The one that's deeper. Like when you are seeing someone's work from your first perspective, you kind of see, oh, that's like the tip of the iceberg, right? But there's always a deeper side to this. So I absolutely love the dark texture. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there's there's um, there's a lot of there's a lot. It's just it's when you look when you when you first approach the piece, listening to it. You're at the you're at the apex of it, and you're just kind of taking it in. Mm-hmm. 
as an oral work, but as you kind of like go further deeper and deeper down to the base of it, there's a story and you can envision a lot of the story in there. One of my friends, he listened to the sixth movement, which is the title track of Atlantis. He had told me, he's a graphic designer, and he told me, he goes, oh, I just, he goes, I can see the bird, I can see the phoenix, I can see the story in there. And that's kind of where I'm going with this, is like this visual storytelling that you can't see. So it's just for your ears. It's like a story for your ears, and you can really take it in. And guys, by the way, the scores for this music also look amazing. So I'm looking at another movement from the album, Elevenfold Labyrinth. And this one looks literally like a warped sort of like labyrinth. <laughs> and um, being familiar with this idea way back in our school days, um, I know it's meant to be performed by moving musicians. There's a lot of movement. So, And the score itself, it looks fantastic. It looks like a graphic element from a movie. So when you look at it, it actually tells you how you're supposed to be moving. So that's really impressive. For the, for the listeners right now, you can't see what you're seeing, but uh, I will tell you that, um, so it, when you're looking at it, it there's it's a labyrinth. Mm -hmm. uh, there's 11 systems that, of music. Mm -hmm. If you count them, count them going counterclockwise is how they go, one, two, three, four, all the way through 11. Um, and if you look at it, and you're just staring at it directly, it's supposed to resemble an eye of Horus in oh, its design. That's what it is. No wonder it looks yeah. familiar. And you know, <laughs> it has like this familiarity to it. And now I, I designed the piece to be played with three dice. One is an 11-sided die, which is incredibly difficult to make. Uh, <laughs> wow. And the other one, the other dice tells you the the speed, whether it's from Largo to Presto, mm -hmm. and the other one tells you the dynamic, whether it's from Pianissimo to Fortissimo. Nice. You take these three dikes, you roll them into an 11-sided ring I call the Hendecagon, and um, and whichever, whatever fate decides for you to play is how you play that piece. So on the track, you have 11 players playing whatever the dice dictated to them to be played at that moment in time. Wow. So it's like a complete creation in the process. Yes. So yes. every time the piece is played, uh, and I'm a big fan of compose. I have many compositions like this where I, it's, it's almost aleatoric, but it's not. So yes. it's a little bit controlled. So there's like controlled aleatoricism and I like to have, I like to be able to have a little bit of control of the outcome of the peaks and kind of like structure some parameters and mm -hmm. constraints for the players to enjoy. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I love that too. Uh, to me, I think the person who did that was it Cage. Yeah, it was John Cage, right? 
and but there's been, yeah there's been many there's yeah. been many and you also did some prepared piano if i heard correctly you have a book coming out on prepared piano yes there is a i've i've been um over the last 10 years cataloging all my um for both grand piano and upright so it's a it's going to be in two sections nice i've been cataloging every i use on my film scores i use uh you know in my compositions i even have some studies a book about some studies um all the different um elements that you could put into a piano to give it certain tones give it certain colors and textures um because from a young age i think i was about 16 17 i fell in mm -hmm. love with perfect piano and i just wanted to know it and i i wanted to know everything about it i wanted to know all the different tonal aspects what to get from there so i've just been cataloging everything over the years and um yeah i have a book out in january end of january -ish. that's amazing congratulations Thank you. And it will be available and it will tell everyone everything they need to know about prepared piano. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I love that too. I often show my students, we stick some like bolts and screws and erasers and pencils into it and see what sounds it makes. So no. I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure that one of us will get a, the book and <laughs> do a little bit more of study on that. So uh, I think you'll, I think you'll like, because it shows you exactly uh, yeah. how far up the string to put a certain specific screw um how, how how many turns to put it in um mm -hmm. you know so many so many different things that you right. can do and um i have i in in the phoenix of atlantis album i have mm -hmm. uh some prepared timpani um Ooh. on certain movements uh some things i've done to the timpani parts uh which were played by mb gordy uh mm -hmm. and he um we put some one of my favorite things to do, I like to fill a balloon with marbles. Oh. And put up and attach it to the timpani, and it makes a very cool snare, rattle, shaking sound as the timpani is being played. Oh, wow. So well, I can't wait to yeah. hear that. That'll be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, why don't we listen to one more song and just to show the difference? So, this is the album that is very metaphysical and mythologically inspired. But let's have a listen to another one that I have heard about 10 years ago. So here is Da Capo.
so a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, so more the jazzy side. Yes, I can hear the jazz influence for sure. And this was a short film. Yes, this is my. Um, this was a back in two thousand eight. Mm -hmm. I did this. Um, this was a, a short film that I uh, I did myself. Uh, you know, I got I got a few friends together to help me out, but I wanted to um, I wanted to try my hand uh, at kind of telling my own story about a composer who um, you know just gets some writer's block, and there's so much noise and chaos around that it kind of drowning uh, kind of drowning a bit in. In his, you know, own own ideas, own thoughts, right. and just kind of clearing everything out and starting again from the beginning, where we get Da Capo, uh, mm -hmm. helps everything kind of uh, right. center it. And he finds this. He finds this. Uh, he finds you know the missing inspirational push that he needs to complete his project, complete his musical task that he has to do. Amazing. And, uh, it's like a real life story. <laughs> it is. It is a real life story, and I think it's. I think it's. It's. Um. It's something that's that's relatable to everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh. Every. You know. It's just where life around you is. It's. There's so much noise, and the walls are closing in, and yes. just things that feel like you know. That just there's too much. I think just having the ability to step back a little bit and clear things out and right. gain a, a perspective tune out the noise and listen to your yeah. inner voice yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of uh writing silence into my um my yes. scores my work i have an opera i wrote uh many years ago and um there's a thematic silence that happens in every movement of the opera. Um, every twenty-first measure is a measure of silence. Oh, amazing! I love that. And um, I have that there specifically as kind of like a palate cleanser. It's like if you're sitting down to enjoy a a uh, multi-course meal, mm -hmm. um, you know, don't want to have the lingering bits, you know, just sitting before you and take a next bite, want to kind of cleanse your palate a bit. And yep. so I do that, uh, I do that, you know, for your ears, you know, you kind of mm -hmm. cleanse ears a bit in the listening process and it helps you enjoy the next movement a bit better. Right, so it makes you actually listen more closely and intently. Yeah. That's fantastic. Very good. I love the silences too. And remember when I was in our program back at York, I would also write stuff that is more spacious and meditative yeah. as opposed to the music that I perform for people, which is totally different. It's entertainment, right? So I absolutely love that because there's so much noise. There's so many voices from the outside telling you what you should do, what you shouldn't do. So it's important to take that step back and just listen to you, listen to what's genuinely true for you. And um, bringing us to the next question actually 
How um, did you figure out that composing music is what you want to do for the rest of your life? Was there a specific project that kind of pushed you to believe that this is it, this is what I want to do? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of... Um, so, started when I was young. I wrote my, I wrote my first piece. I was um, actually, I started learning piano pretty late in life. I started on the piano. <laughs> And I started, um, I was about eight years old when I started, so. Well, I don't think that's late. I started when I was seven. <laughs> um, people, people often say, oh, that's pretty late, you know? They're like, so. No way, it's never too late. I, I, I took to it rather quickly, mm -hmm. um, and I, I wrote my first, I was composing before I was able to get my, you know, the proper fingering and the yep, proper point. Yep, I same here. Hand. Same here. I I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't. You know, I I was able to know the notes and I knew where they were. So I would write them down. I actually composed on staff paper, and I wrote um, my first piece, and then I wrote my first song, which I think was terrible. Uh, shortly after, which is basically just a poem that I set to just some chords with a little melody and uh i kind of i really i really enjoyed it but uh i have to say that the problem was i did not like practicing and practicing made me uh sort of not want to do this but then i um i had a great piano teacher colin mack uh, in Ottawa, who was very inspiring, and he um, he you know gave me so much music. It wasn't just classical music; it was everything. And um, I had listened to Jerry Lee Lewis playing piano, mm -hmm. and I said, "That's what I want to do. That's yay. That, that's what I want to do." So then it got me back into practicing. And then um, learning, doing like little flourishes and these fast passages, um, was I was able to put those into you know Mozart pieces, and Beethoven pieces, and mm -hmm. Chopin pieces, and and kind of combine the two worlds together, which made me want to um, made me want to practice more, and then. Uh, as I kind of grew into being a teen, I composed more and more and more, and then I would just like compose more feeling-based pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think, you know, just I it kind of just fashioned itself, and I was like, this is what I want to do. And I was fortunate enough to get accepted into Berkeley College of Music, uh, and I then that kind of everything went everything went um right in the vein i had hoped it to be because uh professor there really brought out the best of my musical abilities and um i was absolutely certain that that's what i wanted to do that's amazing yay well i'm sure many of us can relate to that too and I can completely relate to the fact that I was able to hear and transcribe music before I was playing it well. So I think that's just a sign that you are genuinely a composer, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
So, I'd love to think so. All right. Oh, Why don't we, guys, <laughs> hear something that's actually feeling-based and very different from the two songs we've heard so far. It's a short sample, one minute, but I just wanted to show you guys that Nadim can produce anything in a style of such as electric disco. So here we go. Absolutely. So if you are doing something for a project, for a client, that's one thing. If you're writing for just yourself, that's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. When you're writing for yourself, you can write whatever you want. It is for you. It is, um, it's in your heart. It's in your, your mind. It's, you know, it's, it's all of you going into something. It's, what you're passionate about. But when you're working with someone, you have to be you have to be humble enough to put that aside and listen more. But on at the same time, you have to keep what makes you uniquely you as a composer. You have to be able to bring that 
to the project because that's what that person, that's that spark that person really liked about you. So if it's a particular instrument, like if you play the electric didgeridoo and you want to, you know, you do that in a lot of your projects and you bring that into something, you know, that's what that person wanted. You just have to be able to stylistically adapt it to what they need, what their needs are for their project. Absolutely. I completely agree. I guess that's the balance between doing stuff you love and doing something professionally that will establish you in the genre or in the industry as altogether. It's a tough medium to kind of balance yourself between. But when you, you know, I'm still, you know, still trying to balance that out myself. You know, I haven't gotten that down quite yet, but I've made progress in that and it's been successful. And, you know, it's just, it's a matter of really... It's a lifetime process, isn't it? Wouldn't you say that? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, kind of going back and forth between a bunch of topics, electric guitar, for example, is an instrument that I love abundantly. I love working and working with it in all my scores and everything. And also, I've recently found a way to incorporate it into classical chamber music because, you know, the electric guitar is a 20th century instrument. Yes. And we rarely use it in classical music and we're in the 21st century. Well, unless you're Malmsteen, then you can do it all. On the album, there's a great company called Electrophonic Guitar. And the founder of that company, his name's Andy, he's wonderful. He and I were talking about uses of electric guitar in there. And one of my guitarists who's in a band, H. Billy Orts, he ended up playing it. And what makes the guitar unique, the electrophonic guitar, is that it has a built-in amp system and effects system in it. So it can actually be played in an ensemble setting. It can be played, you know, on the stage with chamber players without having to lug around all that bulky amplification equipment, you know, without looking for a PA or anything. So it can actually sit in and you can adjust the volume with all your chamber musicians and you can start to incorporate that into 21st century compositions, classical compositions. And I feel that, you know, we should start incorporating that. And that's where my rock and roll and classical music side kind of fused together because I love that instrument so much and I feel that we need to write for it more than that. And I feel that electrophonic guitars finally made an instrument that has the ability and capability to do that. So on movement number four of Phoenix of Atlantis, you'll be able to hear that. 
uh, the chamber. Amazing. I wish they made violins that way. You know, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe yep. that's your... That's my new thing, yeah. That, that's, your, that's your billion dollar idea. Yep, absolutely. Okay, guys, why don't we listen to one more? This one, to me, sounds more cinematic. So just to show you the kind of effects you can get in a movie. So this is called What is in this house? And you'll see why. drone at the end it really creeps you out <laughs> oh that's perfect because that was the intent um, it's a horror track yeah that's that's a film that's a film uh i did a feature film uh called paradise prey mm. actually I, I i apologize the title has changed it's uh it's called deadly excursion mm -hmm. uh, got it and it's a film by brian skiba and it's uh it was really an awesome awesome uh kind of thriller that i really enjoyed scoring um i it was it's, a, it's about a, a a mom and her daughter they she takes her on a spring break and um they uh they end up getting uh, abducted and I, in case someone wants to watch it, I don't want to spoil it, but. Uh, <laughs> okay, we will. Not get out of the situation, right? So. Well, that um, sounds fantastic. So I hear the difference between the first track we played today. Was the first track still a demo from your album? Uh, the ones you sent me in your album are still demos. Is that right? No, they're nope. not. Oh, it's just a different texture. Wow. That's a huge yeah, difference. Are, yeah. The um the album is the classical is the album is contemporary classical uh, chamber music. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. 
it's it's written in a totally different stylistic approach. Yes, because it sounded um, more life to me. It sounded like it was right here. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's mixed differently and everything. The one that you just heard now yeah. is film score. Yeah. And that is uh, also totally different. Um, and because that has to that has to suit the scene, it has to yes, suit in yes. the background of everything, but it has to be it's very interesting because it has to be in the background, but it also has to be present in yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I I have a, a great uh, a great music partner in crime, uh, Toby Carlin at Humblebird Music. And he and I, uh, Toby mixed all of this score. Mm. And he and I also, uh, we write some tracks together. Um, and we do, we do some, some pieces, uh, or, uh, licensing. And, uh, he's one of my, one of my really close friends. I've, I've known Toby for over, over 10 years now. And, uh, He's, he's absolutely wonderful to work with and um, in the same kind of uh, vein of working with people uh, there's a another another group of guys uh, called foreign ears that I've just recently started working with mm-hmm. uh, and they are absolutely amazing at what they do they have a whole analog approach to um, music composition and making tracks and right now we're doing some electronic track music nice uh, i can hear a bit of that in the score here there was a little bit of electronic elements yeah there's, yeah there's a there's there's a little bit of that i have a, I, I use a lot of analog synths um i'm a i'm a I'm an artist with Arturia, so I uh, I use a lot of their um, projects. I have a Matrix that I love, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I have a lot of Roland gear as well that I'm a huge fan of. So, fantastic. Yeah, I, Speaking yeah. of artists, so mm-hmm. the next song we're gonna play is actually a song, <laughs> like something you would hear on the radio. So why don't we have a look, right? This one. Yeah, before we before we play that, yeah. um, the 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 girls singing that song uh-huh. are uh, they're actually Canadian. Um, oh. They're Carmen and Camille, and I uh, I do a lot of songwriting with them, and um, I I absolutely cannot speak and praise them higher. They're absolutely a joy to work with, and. Um, I, I recommend you listen to all of their music because uh, they're absolutely wonderful. Carmen so, yes. and Camille. Great. Carmen and Camille. Yes. Great. We will listen. So there you go, guys. I'm reluctant, a little crazy. And I've been drinking heavy. You're not me. It's easy on me You got a fast tongue And a slow brain You should hear some of the shit you say Oh well
So it's so soulful at the same time, eerie, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your process like when you write for an artist? Um, what do you do? Do you guys meet and discuss the ideas first or do you kind of give them a, yeah. One is, so there's two approaches. So this one I wrote, um, this one's I, I wrote uh, for myself 
here. Oh. You know, it's just kind of like as a writing, it wasn't written uh, for a, a particular artist, but um, you know, I'm I am definitely uh, going to um, kind of shop it around for you know a night a, an artist to record it. Um, uh, Carmen and Camille were great for demoing the vocals on it, and they always do such an amazing job. Uh, and I love how they did it. Um, this one kind of, you know, it's just when I when I sit down to songwrite, it's just um, it's almost like a meditative process when I'm doing it for myself and just kind of like writing about a story or like a particular. I take little. Um, snippets of you know the carousel of my life and yes. i just kind of reflect on that in song but when i'm writing for an artist specifically i like to sit down with them and how i approach it because i've written with carmen and camille specifically and I, I just tell them okay um tell me a story what are you, what are you feeling today mm-hmm. and i kind of draw off of that and either I'm sitting near my guitar I have, I have some guitars and each guitar has a different kind of feel mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of hard to say but every time I pick up a guitar it has like a different storytelling momentum to it um, and, and when I sit at the keyboard or piano I just kind of like okay here's here's a chord I'm vibing with right now. Let's kind of work something around there. Mm-hmm. And just sort of everything kind of just collapses on itself all at once. And then there's a, there's a song a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. You know, the funny thing is too, um, last time we met after that, I guess it rubbed off on me. I've written like 10 songs. <laughs> So you definitely have that influence on people, like you kind of tap into the creative process. So it's no surprise that you can just like do that in two hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so it, it, it's just kind of, I mean, it's, it's odd, but every time I've sat down to write a song, yeah, it's, it started from nothing to, to a full song in yeah. two hours. It's very weird. It's very weird, and it's always timed out at yeah. two hours. You know what? I like that too. I like to kind of like start and finish in one session because it's often difficult to tap into the same feeling when you come back to it later. So yeah. you kind of like at least have the whole thing written down in some draft form, right? And then you yeah. can, of course, produce it, embellish it, whatever. But yeah, that's so true because like usually a song like this, it's a specific feeling, right? So, and yeah. you want to keep that going instead of coming back to it later. So, completely agree. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a different kind of, um, it's a different kind of end experience because every time I finish, like when I finish a film score, mm-hmm. I have a, like a, a low feeling. When I finish like writing a chamber piece, <laughs> I have a, uh, ooh feeling and when yeah. I finish writing a song I have a ah that's yeah a, oh, yeah that's right yeah. because it serves different purpose right a film score is like like the one we heard today is definitely to like frighten you get you into that action mode right but a song like this is definitely like to kind of you know mend your heart sort of thing <laughs> right. 
So yeah, absolutely, I love it. Um, so we're getting very close to our end time, but before before we go, we really would like to hear what would be the one thing that you kind of leave us with as a, an ultimate piece of advice for a young composer trying to get into the industry and being, you know, film composer, producer, sort of like you, what do you think is the most important thing they need to be thinking about? Uh, well, I would definitely say keep, keep writing, um, mm -hmm. and don't, uh, don't close yourself off to genres. Don't keep yourself open, listen to everything because you never know when you're going to hear something that's going to inspire a new writing technique or, uh, or a new instrument you might want to include. You know, there's so many, so many vibrant and wonderful instruments from all around the world that really uh, play an important part in the compositional process um, beyond the traditional Western instruments that uh, can really redefine your composed palette. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Also, I mean, I would I would say definitely kind of put yourself in short films, commercials, um, jingles, features, songwriting. I would I would keep swinging at everything you do, mm -hmm. uh, every kind of musical ball that comes your way because. Um, you know, you might you might surprise yourself, and you know if you never thought of yourself as a songwriter, and you and you do a song, and then they start um, going places. You know, you're a songwriter. So yeah. you know, they're, they're also write for write for smaller smaller chamber groups and um, mm -hmm. solo instruments because your writing um, sounds so different from larger. Orchestral scale stuff, and I feel like a lot of young composers um, just jump into doing the big score sound yep. without really kind of working in different smaller section groups and seeing what kind of sounds and colors they can get out of there, because that can really uh, that can really be an important tool in your in your arsenal in composing, especially when budgets are not as luxurious as we would like them to be so yes completely agree actually writing for a chamber or solo instruments in my experience also at school was that it actually opened you up to far more creative ideas because you have only a limited number of things to juggle with and it actually prompts you to be more creative yeah and you know what the other thing is it is it exposes you yes. it, it leaves you vulnerable um as a writer because it really your your the colors you use might not be as colorful as you thought they were and you might have to go back and reevaluate a few mm -hmm. things and you become a better writer that way absolutely well thank you nadim so much you guys you have to connect with nadim and listen to his beautiful music and if you have not yet heard it you can find him on his website at nadimajdalani.com it's n-a-d-e-e-m-m-a-j-d-a-l-a-n-y.com and instagram send him a message at, at hashtag majdalani or you can find him on his rc 
rft.co real match delani scores so if you know how to get through that for i'm honestly reading this from the page so it's, it's, it's a tough tough last yeah rf rcrft.co forward slash real forward slash match delani forward slash scores so his music is all there and you have an incredible library to enjoy on imdb find him by name just type in my mdb nadim Majdalani. on facebook find him by name again nadim.majdalani and where is your album going to be again so the album is coming out sunday uh-huh. it will be available itunes apple music um, spotify every everywhere music everywhere. is and on your website too sold um, and it is phoenix of atlantis phoenix of atlantis uh, I am very, I'm very, very um, excited about this because uh, this, you know, the the music and the story. We've had so many wonderful, wonderful musicians on it. Um, there's a, there's a the ninth, the uh, sorry, the uh, ninth movement is uh, an operatic movement, um, and it features Christine Halls and Rob wow. Ed. Uh, Saeed, he's a, uh, yeah, he's a baritone, it's a baritone and a spinto soprano duet. Amazing. Um, the seventh movement is a percussion ensemble suite. The fifth movement, it's a piano suite. The sixth movement is a solo cello, bass flute and bass clarinet. You know, there's a, there's a wide variety of colors and sounds and characters that play into this arcing album and i think that uh i think you'll really enjoy it you know we can't wait (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait i'm gonna be downloading and listening to everything (laughs) oh another thing there is also um the album features a giant hammer that uh i had built by isaac segner designs um he and i sat down because i wanted a Mahler hammer mm-hmm. and unfortunately there were not many um, places in LA that would loan me their Mahler hammer so, <laughs> so I designed and built my own uh, and I, I had Isaac I commissioned him to build me this giant hammer that is featured in the album that's amazing uh, I want a hammer too <laughs> I call it I call it the Magdalene hammer nice uh, and you will and you will definitely hear it. It is it is featured in a few movements, but predominantly in the ninth movement, the opening of the ninth movement. That's amazing. So do you have to be a Majdalani to wield it? Uh no. I think you have to be worthy. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Nadine, for tuning in today. We're so grateful and I'm personally so happy to bring you guys someone who has been a role model in my career. And you can now see why <laughs> you can tap into all of this and enjoy his music. Send him a message on Instagram. Look for his album. It comes out soon. So we really can't wait. And thank you so much for your personal stories, for your advice, for wow. your experience. I really hope we can connect again in a couple of months or when you have a next stage of your project complete maybe maybe towards the end of the year maybe around Mm -hmm. uh no after maybe after american thanksgiving (laughs) all right 
Okay, let's do it. Because we can't wait to hear about the process and how it turns out and what do you have next happening. It's really exciting. So yeah. as always, my pleasure. Thank you so much. And we'll see you soon. Have an amazing day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for having all me. All right. Bye. That's all, folks. If you like Iron Fiddle songs, download them at theurbermanka.com forward slash music. See you next time.